to this in such a long time that it it's really fun listening to it because it I remember it so intensely and it's so different from the world that exists right now this was years ago I had just moved to Montreal like the year before I had just started working at Art of Wear and I was working downtown living in Hochelaga and then going to Grumpy's all the time we went to all the Tuesday open mics, and then we go to Corsell Sunday open mics. Not all the time, but sometimes. And so I went to the Grumpy's open mic, and uh, Tim was there. He was the only other guy that had a guitar. Everyone else was, was a comedian. It, it, I was actually very surprised. I didn't expect it to be a, a comedy open mic. And it wasn't entirely, because they were open to other things. It was just mainly dominated by comedy comedians were, were going there all the time and then you know sometimes there were some musicians as I went more and more but this time was my first time and I didn't know what to expect so I got there I asked about a guitar and he said you'll want to talk to Tim he brought his guitar and he pointed him out so I went over and I asked him if I could borrow his guitar and he said yeah you can borrow my guitar you play left-handed uh no I do not play left-handed guitar um I I'm not left-handed and what are the odds (laughs) but I stayed anyways uh I think we had both decided kind of uh without saying a word that 
seeing as he was the only person that I had talked to at that point, and we were both musicians, and it was, you know, musicians against the comedians. Not against, but we were outnumbered. And uh, it was good to, to be with another musician. So we talked. And we talked for hours. And I saw him play music. And I thought, wow. This guy's actually good. <laughs> I mean, you go to open mic... You never know what you're going to get. I mean, people can be wonderful people, but that doesn't mean they're good at music. And they can go to an open mic and perform and and maybe they'll they'll get really good down the line, but not everyone starts out that way. So you never know. But he was good. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, I like this guy. I'll hang around and see what's up. So then we started playing music together. I went to the open mic, I did my thing, people loved it, because they usually do, because I'm I'm pretty good live, like, I I feel like recording is is a whole other thing, and I'm okay with doing, like, studio sessions, but where I really do do the best, I think, is when the adrenaline is pumping, it's an electric night, and you just scream into the darkness. I'm really good at that. (laughs) that night we talked a lot about our lives and what led us to that point and at this point we're like we're we're both about 27 about to turn 27 I think and or maybe maybe we just had and we had very similar life experiences definitely not the same but there were there were common themes at particular times. And we found out that night, the first night we met, that we were born within days of each other in the same hospital. So me being someone who pays attention to signs in the world, whether or not they're real, I don't know. It's hard to say. But I, I notice them. And often when I pay attention, good things happen. So this, this was a sign. And my intuition was like, hey, don't let this go. See it through. So I did. This recording was all in one night. I think it was the first night. And it was winter. It was cold. There was snow. We were loading in equipment into, into Circus House, which is where Tim lived at the time. Circus House was a place in the village, really close to, um, like, between Beaudry and Berrycombe on St. Catherine. And it had, has, there were many people living there. It was, like, a common, I don't think it was a hostel, but it might have been something kind of like that, whereas, you know, people were pretty transient. They were staying for a few months at a time. There were lots of rooms. Some of them were really big rooms and, and cost more money to rent, and then other ones were smaller rooms. Um, so you could live really cheaply and just kind of come and go to whatever you need to be doing. So it was a really fun, like, artist house. Everyone was doing stuff. And be- it was called Circus House because there were a lot of uh, circus people there. So, like, Tim was a little circusy. He could He could juggle. He could, uh, he had, like, a fire stick. I can't remember what the actual word for it is. But, uh, yeah, he would play with some fire sticks. <laughs> baton with fire on either side 
I think he did a little bit of poi as well. He like he was just a hippie. He was a walking hippie festival, and I loved it. I was like, yes, this is what I want more of in my life. And then all of his roommates were like, you know, circus performers, musicians. Um, it was a fun house. They had fun house parties. <laughs> and uh, anyways, this weekend, his his girlfriend, his living girlfriend was uh, away at the time. And so we had like a double room that they had shared, which was pretty big. So we got there, started drinking out of the, I got a box of wine. And oh, and Tim had like, I think multiple bottles of whiskey. So we were having shots of whiskey, drinking wine, uh, smoking pot, (laughs) so much weed. I was not used to that. I have definitely had my bleary moments, but while I was doing music, I would drink a little. I might smoke a little, not a lot. This was over the course of many hours but it was, it was still a lot. They were outpacing me. <laughs> At least Tim was. I think I felt that I wanted to, I wanted to keep up, even though he's like twice my size. You know, he's very tall, um, and uh, I still kind of wanted to keep up, but I, I definitely couldn't. We, I remember we spent a lot of time. We spent a good hour or two figuring out how to how to restring Chris's guitar because it had like a floating uh, bridge. We just drank more, talked more, hung out. I was really scared to be both recording uh, and learning to play with this person. Um, And I wasn't, I mean, I'm good at what I do because I practice a lot usually. I can do, I can do vocals improvised no problem. But guitar? I'm not very good at that. I usually have to practice my guitar a lot before I can do it. So I was really nervous and <laughs> was just recording music with people that I, well, I had never met Chris before. And it sounded really good. We had a good sound in the room. We were feeling good. We had such a good groove. We didn't really like miss anything. And we would do, we would play Crab Bucket a lot. This was one of our like favorite ones to do late in the set whenever we would play. And we played a lot in Montreal together and we played this song a bunch. And it was always fun. Especially when, uh, once we started growing, I remember like Nick playing like sax. God, it was fun. We were the misprints, and we had a good run. We were, like, becoming known in the city, and we had only really been playing for a few months together. So we we went through a few incarnations of the name. I mean, at first we were just Nikki and Tim, Tim and Nikki. And then as we, you know, gathered more and more bandmates, we, well, I suggested we'd, we'd be 16 Towers, uh, so our name was 16 Towers for about about two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 16 Towers. It's going to be so cool. It's like the, the tarot card. And it's all about breaking things down so you can rebuild them. 
And that was what a lot of our songs were about, about complete breakdowns at the end of some major part of our lives so that we can rebuild. It was, uh, it was a card that I related really heavily with. And I said 16 Towers, and then, uh, and then we were like, mm, no, it's not a good name. It, it didn't feel like a permanent name. It didn't feel right. It felt good enough. And then when I brought all of the, the misprinted clothing from work to the band, and we were all just like dressed in this misprinted clothing, then we thought, yeah. How about we call ourselves the misprints and we wear misprinted clothing to our shows? It's pretty, pretty neat looking. It's pretty fun. It's a bit of a gimmick. Makes people remember us. Makes us look like a party band. Like we're having fun, you know? I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember Nick wearing galaxy pants and like a David Bowie t-shirt, I think. And then I remember Tim had, he had a vest. It wasn't a misprint, but it was a pretty fancy vest. And then he also had these leggings, these yoga leggings that had been misprinted. And they were very like, like a, like a hippie had painted this with a thick brush, you know? It was almost geometric, but really like, you know, imprecise lines. Kind of a, a bit of a patchwork sort of impression. And we only really did this for a few shows. <laughs> but there was really, I think it was just the Pop Montreal show that we did, that we all wore yoga leggings, misprinted yoga leggings for the, the show, which I was just really uncomfortable because my body doesn't like elastics. And I think all of them were maybe a little uncomfortable because not many guys wear yoga leggings. So it, it was kind of a, a bit of a spectacle of a showing off the guys <laughs> a little bit one two one two three four
So at this point, I had heard the song. I had heard him play this song a few times. I definitely knew the chorus. And I was like trying to remember the verses. And I think I did pretty well, but I was not super confident on it. And I was like terrified that we were recording this. <laughs> but I think I did all right. <laughs> well, okay. So there's, I definitely made some mistakes. But I think I nailed the parts I needed to. I always just think about being at Grumpy's. And also, at like at this time, I've been single for a while. I didn't know too many people in the city. I was trying to get over some other people um, in other cities. Trying to move on with my life. And he looked good. He was very charming, talented, attractive. He can dance like really well like he was a swing dance instructor and I always wanted to swing dance he helped me fulfill my dream of being thrown around on a a dance floor because he could do that (laughs) and that was really fun (laughs) also he had a, a habit of wearing like suspenders and bow ties and I was such a sucker for suspenders and bow ties and at that time I was just like it was really popular among like some kind of like like nerdy artsy guys and some nerdy artsy uh, lesbians as well and I was into both looks suspenders are great bow ties are great but it, it also really depends on how you wear them and what kind of what kind of look you end up having with them he had a good look. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, at this time, I definitely, I had a bit of a crush on him. It was, you know, I, I think I mostly just was falling into, you know how we can get addicted to, to feeling hopelessly in love with someone who will never love us back, but maybe could, you know, you're trying to like build a romantic story that doesn't necessarily exist. And this is something that I've done a bunch and I I don't want to continue doing it because it ends up putting me in bad situations and then, you know, because I've romanticized someone and then they turn out to be someone different. Not necessarily bad, but not what I was, not what I romanticized them to be. And then I'm just disappointed when I realize they're not who I thought they would be because I have such high rosy opinions of people. Sometimes they live up to it. Not always. I make up a lot. It's a bad habit. Anyways, so I remember just like staring at him, very drunk. Uh, you know, it's like bright lights in your eyes on this tight, tiny stage where you're cramped up close. And we were sharing a mic a lot of the time and like leaning in. Our mouths were very close to one another and singing like these sort of like couple kind of songs. And I think that that worked really great because we had great chemistry on stage and it stayed on stage. 
and we had so much fun doing music together. I remember us playing at the Pistolero, and <laughs> this is just before it burnt down, like maybe a few months before, because I remember really liking that venue and thinking, yeah, we have to come back. This has to be our home. We got to like keep playing in the Pistolero, and then it burnt, and we couldn't go there anymore. <laughs> We're like, well, now we have to find a new venue. I like this one, but you know, c'est la vie. That stuff happens, and you have to just kind of move on. But I remember us being at the Pistolero. We did a couple shows, and they were super fun, hot, sweaty, cramped up in there. Everyone was having a great time. The drinks were flowing. Everyone was excited to let loose and have a good time. And it was hot and sweaty, and the, there were like colored lights on our faces, kind of all red. I think sometimes they would switch to blue. And I remember we did like, I think three sets. You know, our first set would be our songs that are more, are quieter, you know? We'd start off quiet usually because a lot of people weren't there and we were warming up. So we'd do songs that are quiet, more relaxed, more chill and, you know, ease into it. Usually the, the second set was like fire, you know? That was... We were ramping up the energy, and by the end of the second set, there was so much energy. And then third set, I think we still kept it pretty high energy for a while because we were working with not only, like I have enough music that I can play for hours. Tim had enough music that he could play for hours. So between the two of us, like we were scrambling to, to fit it all in. And it was perfect because we were, so we only had time for the stuff we really genuinely wanted to play. There was so much excitement with that because, you know, we weren't, at no point were we like forcing ourselves to go down that track. We were like, yeah, let's do this one. And we would like write it out in advance, <laughs> just scramble it before going out to the show. We, we, we were living, well, Tim, at this point when we were playing at the Pistolero, Tim had moved and he moved to um, like sort of Atwater-y area at water market but like down the down the way a little bit closer to where grinder is and so yeah we would like pass by grinder to get to get to his place and it was kind of a funny juxtaposition because you have all these very like fancy high-end restaurant scene where everyone is very dressed up there's a valet parking their cars and everyone spent so much money doing their hair doing their nails being like gorgeous you know rich people <laughs> a few doors down there's just these like dirty musicians drinking whiskey smoking weed painting up a storm because he was living with lily which if you if you don't know her art lily is something lighter on social media so on instagram you can see a bunch of her, her artwork she does amazing collage work with um sort of mixed uh mixed media collage work with paint and there's a lot of repetition it's very meditative when you look at her art and so we'd be making this music she'd be making that art it's happening all at the same time in the same place and then chris would be i don't like fiddling around with uh various equipment upstairs and in, in the the master recording room which was his bedroom or or he would uh come down in various flowing psychedelic outfits that um that i brought 
into the space because I was working at Art of Wear and we had once or twice a year we have like a pile of all the all the messed up clothes that we couldn't send out to people because um, we did like design your own clothing right so people would upload their designs we'd, we'd press it onto fabric cut it up sew it up mail it out all in one factory and sometimes we would make mistakes sometimes like you know the, the ink wouldn't be quite perfect or you know someone sewed something in a weird way or sewed the wrong leg part to the other leg part and uh, you know there are some people make mistakes and so we could pick from the pile of, of mistakes that had happened throughout the year uh, around around Christmas I think maybe Thanksgiving something like that and so I just like went through all these like stretchy weird leggings and kimonos and it was all like kind of hippie art or a lot of it was all these various silk scarves and it was real genuine silk at that point they they switched to synthetic silk because it was the the machine that was incredibly expensive broke and and couldn't be fixed or at least not within a you know what they could afford so uh so they don't do silk anymore but at this time it was real silk and so we had like you know silk scarves and he was all decked out in like he i remember there's this kimono that he wore his very flowy, sort of silky kimono. I think it was chiffon with some greens and sort of splotches of different colors with uh, pretty psychedelic leggings. <laughs> and downstairs, there would just be like the creative zone. And it was really fun. We'd like hang out there. We'd practice before, before going to a show. So we'd start out there. We went over to the Pistolero, warming up, doing our set. And at the end of the night, we're just like, yeah, let's keep on, let's keep this party going. Turn up the music. Let's do shots for everyone. Order at least one more drink and actually relax and hang out and, and let, let the band party a little bit more <laughs> in, a, in a less performative way. There was this woman that came up to me. And I think at the time I had ordered through my job at Art of Wear, I had ordered headband that said the Misprints, which was our band name. And they were kind of like awkward. Like they didn't, I didn't really like wearing them. I saw some people who, who could wear them well, but I, was, I couldn't really make it work with my style. Except I realized that I could actually slide it onto my body, onto my torso and wear it like a tube top. It was very stretched. And so it was like kind of pale, not quite see-through, but it kind of looked like maybe if you stared hard enough, it could be. <laughs> so I'm wearing that. And I had uh, this sort of like jean vest that I had uh, I'd ripped off of my, my little sister's uh, romper. My little sister is 12 years younger than me. And she had this romper that she, I think, like aspired to wear, but was at a at a time in her life where she wasn't quite comfortable wearing that yet, but like still wanted to like be comfortable wearing that, but had realized that, you know, time had passed and she hadn't really worn it much. So then I wore it, not as a romper. I ripped off the, the shorts because my body doesn't actually fit in a romper. I have a very long torso and I'm reasonably tall for a woman. And so a lot of women's clothing, if it's a romper, it's very uncomfortable. Uh, rompers are great. It's a style I wish I could rock, and it just, maybe someday I'll make my own romper and it'll be fantastic. Anyways, so I had like this misprints across my chest, tube top with this like jean vest. And I think I was wearing, I had this like floor length, uh, navy blue, sort of very um, light fabric 
dress and it was kind of it was like a the most casual ball gown you've ever seen you know <laughs> it was like this beachy kind of like material but it it looked like like a disney it looked like something cinderella would wear you know or like maybe like one of the disney princesses would probably wear it and so i had this like full length dress and uh <laughs> anyways i was wearing that and i guess i guess i looked hot i don't know i was feeling pretty hot and i think i like rolled down the cuz the the dress was full but i think i like i pulled it down or something so that i could wear the um the tube top as a tube top and not just as like a weird thing on top of my shirt so i like rolled down the shirt part of the dress i don't i guess i was i was looking hot and uh I have a lot of passion when I perform. So I have had people come up to me and just feel like they can, without knowing me at all, ask to have sex with me, all sorts of propositions. Um, and this woman came up to me and she said, you are so hot. You are so sexy. I want to kiss you. And then she just did. Like I didn't... <laughs> There was no, like, I didn't even have, I, I think I was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you. That's very nice of you. And then like next thing, and you know, when I'm, when I'm kind of uncomfortable receiving compliments, my eyes are like kind of fluttering closed most of the time so that I don't have to like deal with reality. And, uh, <laughs> and so the, I didn't see the kiss coming. It just happened. I didn't have time to like consent to this. I don't know if I would have. It's a funny story, like, I don't feel horrible about it, but I, and like, part of me is like, complimented, but I'm also like, that was very non-consensual, I really hope that you like, don't go through your life just thinking you can walk up to people that you don't know and kiss them, because that's, that's not cool, but it was kind of, it felt like a big compliment being like, you know, someone who likes the idea of being like a rock star. Uh, <laughs> and it, you know, it made me feel like a rock star. I was like, wow, I should be like, you know, running into a car after my show with like screaming fans on, on, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> top of the car that I'm driving away in. And of course I have to have a driver, you know, someone's driving, driving me in like a limo or something or, you know, some very fancy car. And there's hordes of people throwing themselves on the, <laughs> on the dash. You know, I, I just want to be the Beatles or like, you know, of that level, you know, not that ambitious really. It's, it's a very doable kind of, um, dream to have. I don't know what to say about it, but it was, it was a memorable experience and, <laughs> And something that is both uh, not cool, but also super cool all at the same time. Because it, it validated me. It made me feel like, yeah, I'm doing something cool, you know? People are into it. This last song I had just written, maybe a week or two before we recorded it. So it was still fresh in my mind. It was still uh, fresh in my emotions. It was still not totally done but we we did it anyways and I don't think I had ever played it with with either of them before I think I, I might have shown them a little bit how it goes before we like launched into playing it but but this is pretty much just off the cuff we just did it and it turned out really well it's one of my songs that are very 
it takes a lot of my voice. So it was, it's a song that I would only really do near the end of the set because I didn't want to accidentally blow my voice, which was a very real danger with this song. Sometimes I would sing it and then I couldn't sing anything else after. So it was usually a closer and that's fine. Like emotionally, it's a bit of a closer. It's very big, very moody, very dark. It's raw, it's powerful. And that's how I feel when I'm performing it. You know, I feel like there should be like rain just streaming down my face while I'm screaming out into the, the thunder. And that's, that's the vibe that I get from, the, from this next song. We were just like three of us around one mic. I don't think we had multiple mics. I think we just had one microphone that we were all like kind of around making sure that we had a good sort of like general sound in the room. Chris's guitar was electric, but we were doing acoustic guitars and just singing. And then we had the space echo going. And our voices really worked well together. Like if we were sustaining a good harmony, we sounded like a train whistle. Like it was, there was a richness to our voices blending that was just so nice. Everyone's voice is unique. And so when you have certain certain voices coming together, they create a very unique dynamic. And I have different dynamics with different vocalists that I harmonize with, that I perform with. But both Tim and I came from this similar background of really singing a lot in choirs and doing a lot of choral work, blending voices and harmonies. And I think that really, really shows through in a lot of our music. And I think something maybe threw into, like, flew into my throat, like a little bit of dust. <laughs> and I was just, like, trying to go through the rest of the song. And you can, like, kind of hear that roughness. And I think I was, like, <laughs> trying to coat my throat while, while Chris was doing the, the lead guitar solo. I don't know how much he had really, like, thought about that solo, but it, it turned out really nice. Oh yeah, we all had capos and Chris was always making fun of me because all my songs, like half my songs involve a capo. It might be.
so that's that was the time that me, Tim Coker, and Christopher Pullman got together for the first time and played music. <laughs>